Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. Well, last week we began a new series exploring a new vision that God, we feel like God is giving our church. And, and to do that, we, we introduce a hypothetical conversation with a guy named David. So I want you to imagine yourself sitting with David at Eli's coffee shop, and, and he has just shared, like we talked about last week, here's all the brokenness in my life. I have a marriage that just seems on the rocks, like I have a job that I don't want to go to and it's unfulfilling. I've got kids that are going every which direction and just feels overwhelming. And I always feel like I have my parents' voices in the back of my head just telling me that I'm not enough. And he shares all of that in a rare moment of vulnerability. What do you do in a moment like that? I mean, last week we talked about maybe why David might come to to you to to initiate a conversation like that. Well, what do you do when he shares all this and kind of says, now what? And he looks you in the eyes and he's looking for some kind of response. What is it that you say? What is it that you have to offer to someone like David? What do you do in that moment? That's what we hope our vision is going to begin training us in. The the whole point of us exploring these, these different concepts, these different ideas, is so that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus. We can be like him and minister the gospel in very tangible and real ways. So I want to remind you of that vision statement. Before I do that, you'll notice up on our screen here, we got it in the corner, but we're going to make it real big for you, the QR code. We've been kind of talking about this a lot. So if you want to follow along in the sermon notes, we actually have a link to that. So if you pull out your phone and open up your camera app, don't take a picture of it. If you've never used the QR code concept before, don't, don't snap a picture. Just tap the screen. There should be a yellow box that emerges. That's going to be a link to our website. And so what you can do is Open up your camera app, tap that, and it'll take you to our link tree, and there should be a button there for you to tap to get the sermon notes. So if you want to follow along, we encourage you to do that. Bring out your phone, take some notes along the way. You'll see an outline there for you to follow along with. So we encourage you to do that at any point along the way. But to remind you of what our new vision is, I just want to rehash it here for you. It's equipping you to pursue and proclaim Jesus in grace and truth. Equipping you to pursue and proclaim Jesus in grace and truth. And last week, we started with the first key element, which is pursue Jesus. And we talked about how we are to pursue him, to go after him, to chase after him, to become like him, to do the things that he, he did, and to be in his character, to be like him in all of his different attributes. And so what pursuing Jesus does is it changes us, it transforms us. And that leads us to be able to do some of the things that he did. But one key thing in particular, which is our second element today, proclaim Jesus. Last week we talked about pursuing Jesus, pursue Jesus. Today we're going to talk about proclaim Jesus. Now, if you're kind of familiar with church, whether you grew up in church or not, or or you have at least been around church, I'm curious, when you hear that word proclaim, Do you begin immediately to think about evangelism, sharing the gospel? 
I'm even curious if you have this picture in your mind of a street corner preacher with a sign that says, repent. Is that kind of what you picture? Like when you think proclaim, that's what I'm supposed to do, right? That's the image that comes to my mind quickest. When I think about proclaiming or evangelizing, the image that comes up first for me is that. And I think that's a stereotype. Yes, the the word repent, and and that's a key concept in the gospel, and we can talk about that. But I think what we all kind of intuitively realize, like, that isn't quite what it's supposed to look like, right? I mean, is that really actually helping people come to know Jesus? I want to contend to you it's not. Maybe sometimes it does, and maybe that's even your story. You encountered a street corner preacher. But I would say most of us do not come to faith that way. And so what does it actually look like for us to proclaim? Like, what is it for us to proclaim Jesus? How do we actually picture this in our minds? I wonder if there's a better concept or maybe analogy to use that might help us get there. And it actually came from my son, Levi. So a few weeks ago, we were just chatting and kind of remembering something. And he brought up a memory or something that triggered for me the concept of show and tell. You remember that? In kindergarten or preschool, you know, show and tell. And, and he even described it when we cast, like, oh, yeah, show and tell. He's like, oh, no, 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 it's show and yell. You got to yell and, and be excited about your thing, right? And there's something about that that's true, right? Say, so if you know Levi, which many of you don't, but some of you do, one of the first things you learn about Levi is he loves mowing. He loves all things, mowing tools and, and all that kind of stuff. Well, show and tell one time, he brought his mower. Like, this is what he did, Right? Now, why would Levi do that? It's because he loves mowing, right? And he's so excited to share that with his classmates. So what does he do? He brings it in. He's like, here's my mower. And then he tells about it. I wonder if that's a helpful image for us to think about proclaiming Jesus. Like, we want to fall in love with Jesus. We want to be so consumed and passionate about him, about the gospel, that we just can't wait to be like show and tell, where we want to tell our friends. I wonder if that is going to be a helpful image for us to rethink what does it mean for us to proclaim. And so I actually want to do that. I want to use that as a framework to walk through the message today. We're going to look at showing and telling Jesus. And so to do that, I invite you, if you would, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at this, this chapter, this section of text, through that show-and-tell kind of lens. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, if you're kind of not sure where that is, like go into your table of contents in your Bible and, and find 2 Corinthians, not 2 Chronicles. There's another book that sounds like that. 2 Corinthians, it's in the back portion of your Bible. Be looking at chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. All right, chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. Follow along if you would. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, 
not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what I want to do is I want to walk back through this passage and highlight a few key ideas because this is loaded, right? There's so much in here. Maybe you've heard this text before, maybe you haven't, but there's a lot for us to unpack and to understand. So thinking about this, what I think what Paul wants us to start with or this idea that we need to begin with is that we have been reconciled. We have to start there. Paul is communicating this idea to the Corinthians by saying, hey, you've all been reconciled, so you have a ministry of reconciliation. Well, what's he talking about there? I want to highlight a couple of verses. So go back down to the bottom, verse 21. What what does he say here? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What Paul's talking about here is that Jesus, he came to be sin for us. You see, he, he had no sin. He, he's God. And he existed from all of the beginning of creation. He's existed from, from eternity past. And he has always been without sin. And what he says is that Jesus came down to be like us. He actually took on a human nature. He became human. And he lived that sinless life. So when we talk about sin, what we're talking about is rebellion. What we see in in the scriptures, the story play out is humanity, we want to do things our way. We want to go our own way. We want to decide what's good and what's right in our own eyes. We want to choose how things go. And that, that is rebellion. That is sin. It breaks everything because it's not supposed to be this way. And in that, we're stuck Paul even uses the language, we're dead in our sins. It kills us. And so what Jesus does is he is the sinless one, the one who has never done anything like that, comes down and takes on our sin. He comes in and he says like, okay, I'm going to put it on my shoulders. I'm going to be sin for you. And he essentially trades places with us. He's like, no longer do you stand in this state of being, but I'm going to take your place. He became sin for us. Sin was placed on his shoulders. And so when Paul reminds us that that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, he's reminding us that he trades places. That our sin, our brokenness, our rebellion is not the end of the story. And so what, is hap- what happens next, or what does Jesus do with that? Well, I want you to jump up to a verse we didn't read, but look at verse 14. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. You see, Jesus, he took all the sin in us, all of our choices, all the things we do, he put it in his body, and he was crucified with it. And by doing that... He put to death all of sin. It was crucified with him. 
No longer do we have to die because he died for us. It's in him that sin itself is crucified and put to death. And when he does that, he sets us free. When we choose to follow and we begin following Jesus, this is now true for us. Our sin is taken away and put on him. But it doesn't just stop there. See, in the next verse, verse 15, after Jesus dies, it's not that that's it, the end of the story, something else happens. So verse 15, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Not only does Jesus die and take away sin, he brings back life in his resurrection. He was raised to the dead, from the dead. He he was brought back to life so that we could too have life. Not only does he remove the bad stuff, but he brings back the good. This is the gospel message. It's in Christ that sin is put to death, that we die in him and we are raised to new life in him. And so what happens as a result of this? Back to verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. So when Jesus, he is raised to new life, he brings new life with him and brings new creation with him. We are no longer the way we were before. We don't have to live in those old patterns, these sinful desires, these, these ways of deciding things on our own. We don't have to live in that way anymore. We get to live in a new way. We are made new in Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. We are different. And so if you were here with us last week, that's where we landed. When we pursue Christ, when we go after him, he's changing us. The work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts changes who we are. We are now new creations. That is what Paul points to. So when he says we're reconciled, when we were wayward against God, we didn't want anything to do, he turned us back to him. And now we're new and we're different. And when we're changed... What I think he's trying to help us see is that now we embody the gospel. We embody Christ. We wear it in our lives. Which is why I think he can say this last thing I want to highlight to you is verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. Paul brings the idea of an ambassador. You know, so if you know what an ambassador is, it's a, it's a person who represents his country, his king, his leader, his people, right? And so this, this person, uh, he or she might come and, and to another country, another um, place, another kingdom or whatever, and they represent the place that they've come from, the people that they've come from, the leader that they've come from. And an ambassador represents it to that new people, that new country, and they represent the interests. They, they represent the, the goals. They embody that country or kingdom. 
And so when you see an ambassador, you see, oh, here is a representative. Someone who captures what the essence is of this king, this kingdom, this leader, this president, right? That's what Paul is leveraging here. When we are ambassadors for Christ, we're to look like him. We're to represent him. When people look at us, they should see him. We're to embody those we represent. That's what an ambassador does. But it's not just that. There is that embodiment piece. There's a, there's a second element. That ambassador has the authority of that king, of that leader, of that nation. They have the authority to make decisions. They have authority to pass on a message and, and communicate and dialogue. They have the authority to represent So when Paul comes in and says, you, us, we all are Christ's ambassadors, we're to be like him, we're to embody him, and we have his authority. That is is the good news that comes with the gospel. So not, not only are we changed for ourselves, but now we represent him for the sake of others. That's what this ambassador idea really drives home for us. So, I think what Paul wants to do in all of this, there's a lot of theology here, a lot of depth, you know, talking about the gospel. I think what it all comes down to is this. We are to live according to the message. We're to live according to the message. The message is that Christ has come, he has saved us, he died for us, he was raised, we are new creations in him. The message is to be on us and in our lives. If we are ambassadors, we reflect the message by what we do. Do we live out the message? If we're to show and tell the gospel, showing the gospel, showing in Jesus, means we gotta look like him. When people look at us, they should see Jesus. That's the goal. That's what this is to be like. We are to embody the message of the gospel. So now if this is true, if we're to embody, if we're to live according to the message, come back to that street preacher. Sure, the idea of repentance, that is absolutely embedded within the gospel. But is that all of it? I want to contend with you that it's not. People don't come to Jesus most of the time because someone holds up a sign. What is it, to come back to David, that draws him in? Often, it's character. See, I think David would be sitting in that coffee shop with you because he sees something about you. He sees there's something different. He sees Jesus in you. That's what leads him to come share to come seeking to ask the question, is there hope? It's when we live the message, when we embody it, people are going to be drawn to it. So imagine, imagine a David sitting across the table from you. What does he see in you? Does he see Jesus? 
One of the criticisms, I think, is kind of out there. If you were to ask people in our culture, just like, hey, what do you think of Christians? What's one of the biggest criticisms that they're going to level at us? You've probably heard this before. It's hypocrisy, right? You say one thing, but then do another. That is one of the biggest criticisms I think people leverage against Christians. we, We say something and live differently. Now, sometimes this criticism of hypocrisy is not always completely objective. You know, there, there's a grain of salt I think we need to take with that. They have a pers- pers- particular perspective on what that's supposed to look like, and we don't always come through. But with that said, realizing it's not all clean, I think there's an element of truth sometimes. Man, we don't always live the message that we speak. Church family, what if we were to actively work against that? To be the kinds of people, we don't want to be hypocrites, but we actually want to live what we say. To bring consistency between our message and our lives. Because what's the first place that people, even if you were to start talking to them about the gospel, they're not going to understand everything. So what are they going to do? They're going to they're evaluate, they're going to look, they're going to listen, and they're going to watch And what's the best place for them to get confirmation about Jesus and the gospel? It's you and your character. When they look at you, do they see the same thing that you're saying? I think that's what Paul wants us to be reminded of. We need to live out the message. Live according to the gospel. Live according to Jesus. Embody him. Because then, then they're going to see not just something we say, but watch a life lived out. So let's proclaim Jesus by showing him. Let's show people who Jesus is by the way that we carry ourselves. That's, I think, what Paul is pushing us to do. But that's not all. So remember our paradigm here, show and tell. There is a tell component, right? We are to tell about the gospel. We show Jesus, we show him in the way that we live, but then we also got to say something, right? So what's this all about? Look with me at verse 19. Here, Paul's capturing it again. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We actually have a message to communicate. We need to share about Christ. We need to share the good news of the gospel. So we proclaim Jesus by telling about him. We show him the way that we carry ourselves, but we also tell him about him. So this is probably, again, what you thought of when you heard that word proclaim, like, okay, I got to tell the gospel. But I want to suggest to you that there's a little more nuance that we want to capture here at New Life than simply just telling. Because I think often what we think of when we think of tell, it's like I need to learn some analogy or some summary of the gospel. And maybe you were taught like the four spiritual laws, the Romans road, or the bridge illustration. These are all really good, so don't hear me knocking them. Like they can be really helpful. But I think sometimes we boil it down to if I just say the right thing, then people are going to trust Jesus. And I want to contend with you, it's not simply a formula. 
It's not simply a mechanical A, B, C, D, done. There's more to it than that. And so I want to show you, Paul, in his own words, how he conceived of this idea. So I want you to flip one book to the left to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're just going to look real quickly at chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. So talking about this telling idea, here Paul is describing his own ministry and his own communicating of the gospel. And so begin at verse 19 in chapter 9. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in its blessings. See, notice what Paul is doing here. He's saying, like, to the Jews, I've become like a Jew. I'm not under the law. Like, I'm not changing my status. I'm not changing the essence of who I am. I'm not under the law anymore. But for the Jews and for their sake, I become like them. I connect with them where they are. Likewise with the Gentiles who don't have the law. I operate like they do, right? I connect with them on their level. And I'm not free to do anything that I want. It's not that. Like, I'm bound to Christ. That doesn't change. But what Paul is getting at is to say, I'm trying to connect with everyone where they are. And so, to, to maybe summarize this in a statement, what we want to do is we want to meet people where they are with the gospel. We want to meet people where they are with the gospel. We don't just come in with a formula. It's like, okay, I got all my things nailed down here and now you know it. But rather, what Paul is saying is like, I'm connecting with people in their starting point. The Jews, they know the law. So like, okay, let's talk about it from that perspective. Christ came to fulfill the law. You are now free. He's proclaiming the gospel in a way they understand. The Gentiles, they don't have the law. So that, that, that's not the starting place. If he comes in and says, oh, it's about the law and Christ fulfilled it, like, okay. He meets them in a different kind of way. See, that's what Paul is trying to point to. We, we meet people where they are. And to do that, we've got to know their story. So come back to David when you're sitting across uh, the table over coffee and he's like, my, my life's in shambles, my, my marriage is on the rocks, like, I, I hate my job, I don't know what to do there. Like, is there any hope? What does Jesus have to say about those specific things? So what we want to be able to do is we want to learn the gospel in such a way as that we can communicate it in a meaningful way for David. So we start with his marriage. It's like, my marriage seems to be dying. Well, you know what? Jesus is in the business of bringing things back to life. That comes from the gospel. 
He died and was raised again. So like that's up here, but we take it one notch down. Jesus is in the business of resurrection. He can bring life where there is death. How does he do that? New creation. There might need to be some change in you, David. Maybe your wife too. This is how the gospel can connect with people. We meet them where they are. And we start by learning how to communicate the gospel in a meaningful way. So, bringing this all back together, we want to proclaim Jesus by telling about him. Now, if you're kind of like, oh man, I'm not sure I can do that. Like, I don't even know where to start. Like, that just feels so up here for me. Can, can maybe I just use this as an example. Uh, every week I prepare a message. And you can decide how good any of these are. Like, you can, oh yeah, really good. Oh, not so good. But regardless of what it is, I work really hard. But it is not my preparation that makes anything happen. Me standing up here, presenting it in a very eloquent way, or, you know, capturing a way that's really helpful for you, is not on me and my strength. God is the one who makes anything that I happen to say on a Sunday meaningful for you. I don't get up here and like, oh, I've got this great sermon. Like sometimes I think it's really good and it kind of falls flat for you. And and then other times I'm like, oh, that was a dud. And you're like, that was great. I'm like, why? (laughs) Because God, right? He is the one who makes anything happen with the words that I speak. The same is true for you. You might think of somebody, it's like, oh man, I kind of want to tell them the gospel and I have no idea how. Do some work, put in some preparation, but step forward in boldness that God is going to use your words. We don't come up with the magic formula to make someone believe. God is the one who makes things happen. And he's at work in you when you're sharing the gospel. So, take the pressure off. It is not on us to make anything happen. Our job is to step forward and be willing to speak. So I want to pause right here. Hopefully that's a bit of good news and encouragement to you, but I just want to ask you now this question. As you're thinking about telling, who comes to mind? Who is it that you've got on your radar Someone that you're thinking of right now, like, oh, you know what? Is it a coworker? A classmate? Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a family member. Is there somebody that you're thinking of? I want you to write that person's name down. If you're taking notes, like literally write it down or put it in, in, in the app or on your phone and, and just write that person's name down. And I want you to begin to pray for them. And maybe you already are. That's great. Keep doing it. But I want you to pray in this way. God, open a door of opportunity. I just want you to pray that simple prayer. Pray more if you want and more things come to mind. That's great. But pray about a person and pray for opportunity. And then that opportunity is probably going to come. And when it does... Step forward and just share what you know. And what you know is your interaction with Jesus. To however deep or ex- there's whatever extent there is, you just share what you know and let God do the rest. And it's likely not just one conversation. 
There'll be multiple. It'll probably be an ongoing thing. But our goal here is to tell about Jesus. Because I bet you, someone you're thinking of has already seen Jesus in you. The show part. There's going to come a moment where you can tell them. I want us to be the kind of church that is praying for these kinds of opportunities. And we're watching for them. And we want to equip you when those moments come. So, here's, here's where we are. Show, we want to show Jesus. We want to proclaim him by showing through our lives. But we also want to tell about him. Tell the gospel. Communicate the message. You're probably wondering, like, okay, how do I do that? Well, last week we gave you a few practices or disciplines, things that you can do for pursue. And, and just a reminder of what those were. Prayer, Bible reading, worship, and being a part of a life group. Those four practices, those four things are ways that we can pursue. Well, we've got three more for you that we want to share related to proclaim. And so here are the three. We want to learn the gospel. We want to live by the Spirit. And we want to witness. So I want to take each one of those in turn kind of explain a little bit more about what we mean. Now, you're probably looking at it's like, okay, not surprising, but whoa, what does that mean? So the first one, learn the gospel. We want you to learn the depths of the gospel. And that might come through some of the things like the bridge illustration or the Romans road, things like that. But what we want to do is not just stay in those formulas. We want to learn the gospel so um, completely and, 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 com- and exhaustively that we know how to communicate it in a variety of ways. I, I liken it to like learning a language. So when you learn a foreign language, you, you learn the vocab and it's okay, okay, here's my vocab list and you, you kind of learn what it means. And you learn the grammar, the rules, here's how I conjugate and, and translate to different tenses and all that stuff. You learn those frameworks, right? There's a difference between learning a language and becoming fluent in a language, right? And what's the difference? You know how to use it. You can learn all the vocab, learn all the grammar, but like, oh man, you just, you can't quite get through a conversation in a meaningful way. The change is fluency, right? You learn it so well, you know when to use this idiom or when it applies to to use this vocab word versus this one. You kind of know it intuitively, like it's a part of you. I mean, there's some people who like learn languages to the point where they start dreaming in it, right? Like that's the kind of level where we just, we know the gospel so well that we can speak to it in a variety of ways. And so what I mean when it comes to the gospel, Jesus came as a human being, he died, he was raised again, we are made new by faith, like that, the gospel, what are the implications of it? What do you come to say to David when you're sitting at coffee? It's like you trace out the implications. Here's what it means for your marriage. And again, that one step down is like, Jesus, God's in the business of bringing resurrection where there's death. He brings about new creation and transformation. Like these are some of these step down things. We'll keep going. What does it look like for us to proclaim gospel in a variety of situations. We want to grow in our gospel fluency. So how are we going to do that? We as a church want to offer opportunities where we teach into this. 
Now, this probably could come in the form of a class or, or some kind of small group, but it's like, we're going to workshop. What it, let's take the gospel, let's teach about it, and let's trace it down. And we want to equip you with the skills to do that. So you're like, yeah, that sounds really good. Sign me up. Sorry, we're not quite ready. <laughs> so this is coming. This is one of those things we're working on. Like we want to build some kind of way, some kind of environment where we can do this together, where we can learn the gospel. So that's coming. And this is a practice. When we commit to learning the gospel and and taking it deeper, it's going to change how we interact with people. So just know that that's coming, okay? But as a church, we want to commit to that. We want to learn the gospel. All right, so that's number one. Number two. The second one is live by the Spirit. Now, living by the Spirit. This is a truth from the gospel. Because Jesus died, rose, and ascended, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, comes and lives inside of us. And what does he do? He applies the transformative work of Christ to us, specifically. He changes our hearts. He's the one that's actually producing new creation in us. He grants us gifts. He empowers us for living. He is the one who's animating us. We were dead in our sins. Now we're alive because of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is the one who is guiding us through life. He is one that's walking us through this this growth plan that God has put before us. He's the one that's actually transforming us. And he's also the one who's working things in this world to bring people together. He's the one that creates opportunities. He he connects people and just opens the door. He's the one that's doing all that. What we want to do is we want to live in obedience to him. We want to become aware of how the spirit is working We want to watch and see how he's moving in our hearts and the lives of other people. And we want to join him in that. And so the the discipline, the practice, the thing that we want to grow in is the ability to see him moving and join him in it. We want to live by the Spirit, by his power, by his leadership, by his guidance. So we want to learn to recognize his voice. And we want to respond to him. This is also something we want to explore together as a church. We want to help people learn how do we listen to the, the, the Lord's voice? How do we allow him to guide us? How do we respond the way he's prompting us to? This is what we want to go after. Because he's going to create those open doors. When we're praying, like, okay, so-and-so is on my mind. I want to, I want to be able to, to connect with them. Holy Spirit's going to work that out. Can we live according to that? So I want to add one quick thing here um, because one of the things that the Holy Spirit, again, is doing is he's changing our hearts. He's transforming us. I wonder if two things might be really important for our time, our culture today. These aren't the only things, but I'm just, I'm kind of wondering out loud with you for a moment. I wonder if these two characteristics will be really helpful for us as we proclaim. And it's hospitality and generosity. Hospitality and generosity. Again, I'm just wondering this. It's not the only two things, but picture Jesus. I mean, he had such a radical welcome. Sinners and tax collectors, he's eating with them. Like, people didn't do that. There's a hospitable part of him. There's a hospitable spirit to him. 
I wonder if we do the same thing. Same thing with generosity, like a lavish giving. Like that is certainly what Christ does. Like we don't merit anything, yet he gives us everything. Like, oh man, he is so generous. Imagine if we're the same way with one another. I think these two things are missing a lot in our culture. I don't think we bring them to the table all that much. Like hospitality and generosity, they're just, it's often what's in it for me, right? I wonder if we were to go after these kinds of things, if that just might be the environment for people to encounter the Lord in a unique kind of way. I don't know. It's just some observations that I've watched, but I wonder if living by the Spirit, we go after these two things, hospitality and generosity. I just wonder that. But ultimately, we want to be living by the Spirit. So that's number two. Finally, number three, and this is the one that you probably thought of, proclaim, like, okay, witness. How do we actually witness? One of the things that Kirk Bodie, one of our teachers, he and I have talked a little bit about is like, what are some of these opportunities, these classes? And one that we keep coming back to is, how do we actually evangelize? Like, what are some of the strategies or, or the tips, the best practices that are just really good to put into place? We want to teach into that. We, we want to share with you, like, here, here's some ways that help equip you to actually share with somebody. And one of the things that I think is going to be really important is, like, when we think about witnessing, we're like, okay, I got to tell, I got to say all the right things. I wonder if we're going to teach you how to listen first. I mean, like, imagine that. We, we come in with our formula. It's like, I got to say these four things. Okay. What happens if we just slow down and listen first and then respond with gospel? I think that's the kind of thing that's going to make a difference for people. So again, we want to teach into this. Now, you might be hearing all three of these things and saying like, okay, yes, I want to do it. Sign me up. Again, we're not quite ready to pull the trigger on this. And so we are doing some work to lay the foundation to put in some of these pieces as we're rolling out our discipleship strategy. But I can tell you that we've already decided that we want to teach on this in a greater way in this next year. So in the coming months, we're going to come back around to some of these kinds of things and explore proclaiming Jesus in a little bit deeper way. And we hope to be able to create some offerings for you to explore all three of these things and others, like how do we proclaim Jesus in a meaningful way? We're going to teach into that. That's part of this equipping that we as a church want to do. But if you're just like chomping at the bit, can I make one book recommendation for you? If you're just like, okay, I need to do something here. Let me, let me offer this for you. There's a book called True Story. It's by James Chung. He actually is one of the vice presidents at InterVarsity. He's a Gordon-Conwell grad. So that's the seminary that I went to. I graduated from Gordon-Conwell. He graduated a few years before I did. But um, anyway, he's, he's an alum from, from that school. He wrote a book called True Story. And it's another version or another way to capture the gospel. But what I love about it is he does bring a pretty holistic kind of approach to his presentation of the gospel. So it's a great read, and it might be a helpful tool for you as you're thinking about, like, how do I communicate the gospel in a meaningful way? I think what James does in that book is really quality. So I recommend that to you. If you're just like, I need to do something, maybe pick that book up. Give it a read and just see what you learn from it. Because I think it does capture all three of these in a meaningful kind of way. 
So, true story by James Chung. It's a, it's a good, good resource for you. If you want to get started right now, I'd recommend that book to you. But if you're looking for something else, or in the meantime, here's what I'd put before you. Join a life group. We're going to say that each week during this series, because that is the first key step that we can take as a church. Join a life group. And you can do that today. You can stop by the connections desk, or you can go through that QR code and sign up online. We would love to get you connected with a smaller group of people who can walk through life with you. Okay, let's bring this all together. Here's a reminder of our vision statement. It's equipping you to pursue and proclaim Jesus in grace and truth. And this proclaim peace. This is what we want us to be about. We, we don't do this for ourselves. We don't follow Jesus just so that I can have some nice benefits for me. Yes, of course we do it that way. But we leverage it for the sake of other people. So we want to proclaim. And so how do we do that? We proclaim Jesus through show and tell. Remember that image. Remember that, that posture that a, a preschooler takes when they bring something that they love to share with their classmates. Can we do the same thing. Let's show and tell Jesus to those around us.